Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe for your free 30-day trial subscription. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. On a tree by a river, a little tomtit sang willow, tit, willow, tit, willow. And I said to him, Dicky Bird, why do you sit singing willow, tit, willow, tit, willow? Welcome back, Is ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian Jerome. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Hello. We also have Bill Graham. I'm here. Awesome. And with us today to help us talk about Nitrum, the newest film from director Justin Kurtzel, it's Eric Langberg. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about this movie. Uh, it, a, I would say, challenging film. And we're super excited mm-hmm. to have you here to, uh, to chat with us about it. Would you like to introduce yourself in whatever way you see fit to our listening audience? Sure. Uh, my name is Eric. I am a critic who I run my own website called Everything's Interesting. Um, and then I freelance for a bunch of other sites. I've written for The Queer Review, um, Brightwall Dark Room a bunch of times, The Spool, stuff like that. Um, primary interests are horror and true crime. And I think we will get into both of those as we talk. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, which, you know, perfect encapsulation of everything that we're about to talk about in this particular mm-hmm. film. <laughs> so excited for that, especially uh, as I am an avowed uh, Kurtz Kurzel head. I don't know. Do we have a name? <laughs> Do we have I a think name that works. for fans <laughs> of Kurzel? Um, I'm also an Anthony LaPaglia stand, so that's cool too. And very excited to be here. Uh, before we get into everything, the usual stuff up front, you can follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us, podcastfilmstage.com, and give us a comment or rating on whatever podcasting app you use that allows for ratings. And you can give us money at uh, patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our super awesome Slack channel and first crack at all movie-related raffles that happen through thefilmstage.com. And of course, we're brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a brand new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to be either a movie that you have been dying to see, or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch. And instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. There's a couple of great things uh, that are on the the old movie. I wanted to highlight two of them. First of all, one of them I chose purely because of the name. And it's called Zero Fucks Given. It's from 2021. Uh, This is the copy. Uh, The magnetic Adele Exarchopoulos soars to new heights in Emmanuel Murray and Julie Lacostra's riotous behind-the-scenes look at the corporate grind of aviation hospitality. Against the precarious cycles of long hours, casual sex at parties, life on the ground beckons as a hopeful emergency exit. So yes, I definitely was like, oh, there's a movie called Zero Fucks Given. I gotta check this out. And then um, I saw that uh, Exotropolis was in it, an actress I've enjoyed and stuff. And also, it sounded like 
like, like a, I don't even like a more highbrow version of L.A. to Vegas, uh, a TV show that only I remember that I really like. So I was like, well, I loved that show. About. Right. Right. <laughs> loved Every, it. Like, it's a good show. I literally I actually bought that show on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know what the best part of it is? You buy the show, right? And it's, you get a digital copy. And every single episode begins with a Fox promo. Like, mm. <laughs> like it was from, like they ripped it off of Hulu. It's like, hey, if you love LA to Vegas, check out the Mick. Because we all remember the Mick, right? It's so fucking weird. Anyway, I don't understand digital stuff. <laughs> I will say, however, that you, uh, speaking of actually ripping things off of the internet, I first saw this other movie I wanted to talk about. When I downloaded illegally in college because everyone was talking about it, but no one knew how to see it. And that is 2002's Battle Royale. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Classic. Uh, classic steal this movie because you didn't know where else to see it. But now you can see it on movie for, uh, you know, you know, like legally. Before Squid Game was even invented, cult director... <laughs> What's what's wrong, Rob? Before it was the gleam in your daddy's eye. <laughs> <laughs> yes, precisely. Uh, I, I like how this copy, how this copy was probably recently updated to instead say Squid Game instead of uh, the Hunger Games. Yeah, yes. yeah. We're very post Hunger Games, like. Nobody remembers that time period anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. like well, it, it, does, it, it, it doesn't help that uh, Jennifer Lawrence has disappeared off the face of the earth yeah. as well. That's which, which, you know, she was just in a, an Academy Award nominated movie, Bill. Oh, yeah, but she yeah. was not the part of that conversation about the movie at all. I mean, let's let's be real. Like none of the actors were part of that conversation. It was all just people rolling their eyes at what's his fuck. And then him yeah, and his writer and being they like, we're been. too cool. Like, uh. You must not care about climate change, dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before Squid Game was even invented, pause for laugh, cult director Kinji Fukusaku caused a sensation with his dystopian bloodbath, Battle Royale, based on a controversial novel. Uh, this highly political and adrenaline-charged movie adds a modern twist to the classic Lord of the Flies scenario. So again, uh, if you would like to check out all of this stuff, you could go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. All right. So that is that. And now we can get into our actual feature review of the new film, Nitram, which uh, is uh, the newest film from director Justin Kurzel from writer Sean Grant. This movie stars Caleb Landry-Jones. Drew Davis, S.C. Davis, uh, no relation, question mark, and Anthony LaPaglia, amongst uh, many others who I'm sure we will talk about. And this film depicts the events leading up to the Port Arthur mass shooting in uh, Tasmania in 1996. And uh, it is available out in theaters now and also uh, to stream from IFC Films. I actually watched it using my AMC Plus subscription. So if hmm. you've got AMC Plus, uh, you can check out this movie. And uh, I recommend that you do it. Spoilers for my thoughts. Anyway, here is the trailer. Sometimes I watch myself. Hey, Dad. Hey, man. But I don't know who it is that I'm looking at. 
Do you walk dogs? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Maybe you could walk my babies for me. If I could just change it, but I don't know how. So it's that I'm stuck here like this. All right, that is part of the trailer for Nitram, which again, you can see right now. Um, this movie is based on historical events, so the concept of spoilers is very nebulous for this. I uh, will say that we will avoid some story-specific things, but there is, honestly, I don't, I don't know what listeners would consider to be a spoiler. So uh, we're going to start with our nutshell reviews, but just be aware if you're listening at home and you don't want to be spoiled for anything that it it probably is going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, so we'll open with our general thoughts and uh, move swiftly on into everything else. And we begin, as always, with our guest, Eric Langberg. What are your uh, nutshell thoughts on Nitram? And uh, I guess folding into that, how familiar with you or how familiar <laughs> are you with the, uh, the Port Arthur mass shooting uh, in general anyway? Yeah. Um, overall, I would say that I, I definitely... So I was going to say enjoyed the film, but that feels like the wrong word. <laughs> I respect the film a, a hell of a lot. I think I think it's elegant. I think it is haunting. Um, it is very hard to watch at points, but it's also very, it feels very intimate in a way that I didn't expect given um, Kurtzel's previous work. Um, I am somebody who watches films for performance above all else, I would say. And I think every actor in this film is is doing is working at 110%. I think oh, yeah. both this is like a seven course meal for you in that case. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> SE and Judy Davis, I think are both outstanding. Um, Judy Davis probably gets my MVP, but even Caleb Landry Jones, I think is, is incredible here. Um, I, like I said, at the top, I, I write a lot about horror and true crime. And I think this film plays a lot with uh, your expectations of both of those genre things in interesting ways that I think will delve into more probably. Um, and as for the the second part of your question there, I was loosely familiar. I listened to a podcast episode or two about the the Port Arthur mass shooting. Um, and something that I think is interesting about this film is that you don't necessarily have to know too much to really get hit by the, the impact of it. But I think it is interesting to unpack the differences too between the fictional character in the film and the actual guy in real life. Um, and we'll, I guess, get into that later. That's all I got. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Bill Graham, what are your thoughts on Nitram? So I, yeah, I, I, I echo our guest sentiments. It, it's weird to say I enjoyed this film. Um, it's definitely disturbing. It's definitely dark. And in so many ways, whether we want to talk about this in relation to uh, that, you know, the actual events or if we just want to talk about this film's depiction of this character, um, there's so many moments throughout this where you just you just see things where it could have taken a right instead of a left. Um, there's so many different areas. And so, you know, it's very easy to, bl- you know, uh, I'm sure for people in the vicinity of this character to feel like they are to blame, but there's so many things that had to go wrong in so many different ways for this, this story to unravel in the way it does. Um, and I think, 
I've, I've been very vocal and honest about the fact that um, if if there's one kind of movie that I really don't enjoy for the most part, it's sweaty movies where people look like they're sweating. And uh, Caleb Landry Jones is the sweatiest actor alive. <laughs> so um, that that kind of drives me crazy. No, um, wait a second. But, you can't say that as long as Ben Mendelsohn still lives. <laughs> okay fair enough um that's that's very true but he also plays um you know buttoned up uh stormtrooper like leaders and stuff like that in star wars and so you know he's he's usually uh a lot of his characters are a little bit more uh higher brow i would say and caleb <laughs> yes <laughs> and, and <laughs> caleb is definitely the uh the lowest brow uh sweater um um, on that totem pole. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought the performances across the board were fantastic as well. And, um, it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch. It really is. So, yep. All right. Robin Barr. Yeah. I, I can't help but agree um, with Bill and, and especially you, Eric, because you pointed out, I think the strongest feature of the film, which is its performances. And like, my God, these are, striking performances. Uh, I actually really wish this film had been released in the U S maybe sometime in like September, October, November, because I truly think that Caleb Landry Jones could find himself um, or maybe would have found himself on many best of acting awards. And he still certainly could. um, And maybe even enter the awards race next year. But I think it's much harder for a film a small film like this that's also released in March, um, a small Australian film, but he, he's really incredible. And I didn't like, I I've always liked him as an actor, um, but I didn't know really much about him. So I think I went through the movie thinking he was Australian because we have a lot of excellent Hollywood actors uh, who are Australian of origin. And we have no idea that that was even the case. Um, but he's actually from Texas, <laughs> so he kind of reversed the uh, that. Yeah, we're trope coming of, for your jobs now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, because he's Take so that fantastic. Hemsworths. Exactly. 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 <laughs> Take that, Hems wise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he he's so wonderful in this, and I think I mean we should probably ask friend of the pod, David Rooney, if he nails the accent. Um, but I, I think he <laughs> did it in a way that I didn't find too, um, too distracting. So I, I was really impressed with that. And it was just such a lived in performance. So I, there's nobody who tops any other performance in this movie, like Judy Davis, always, always wonderful. SC Davis did a fantastic job. Um, Anthony LaPaglia is like, also somebody who I would absolutely put in my awards list for the end of the year, because that is one hell of a supporting performance. Oh, yeah. so, this movie like mm-hmm. just immediately fills up like 17 different possible awards considerations. And I know um, we're all still vibrating from the Oscars that were just one week ago, but yeah. um, you know, this is the kind of movie where like, I don't even feel like a, a shill or a sellout for being like, you know, Oscar voters make note this, this mm-hmm. one to remember at the end of the year. And that's the thing. If critics are as important as they're now saying we are, then we could 
potentially make a bid for that, you know, towards the end of the year. Cause I don't think a movie like drive my car or the worst person in the world would have gained as much traction uh, with like Oscars and precursors if it hadn't been for the really vocal critics at these end of year awards. But anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. Um, but I, I was really, really struck by this movie. It's very watchable. Um, my and oh, one thing I also really liked about it, which I would love to talk more about, is the use of sound design um, because I thought that was really striking. And one motif that Kurzel uses is a lot of like blaring, repetitive noises um, just throughout the film, whether it's like a car honking or the radio static or um, just like a lot of these things here and there where you just like relentless beeping and din. And I really think that that's his way of conveying what may have what may have felt like the inside of you know Neutrum's head in a way and like I can't I mean maybe that's like pushing it too far but this is clearly a person who is very lonely very disturbed very unsettled in life um depressed and I think Kurzel uses these uh pounding noises to sort of give you a a sense of the the unrest inside of this person's soul. Um, so I, I was really struck by that. And I, you know, overall, I really enjoyed this movie or, you know, as Eric said, you know, what's to enjoy. I really respected this movie. I really, you know, got what it was doing artistry wise. It still feels a little bit cold to me. You know, it's not the kind of thing that I felt like I was close to tears about anything. I didn't feel like emotionally, rocked by this movie i felt more like awe of what it was doing and what it was saying and the story it was telling but i still felt like there was distance between me and these characters so i'm curious if anybody else felt that but i will let you go forth brian i mean i feel like you're always that's maybe not the right thing to say i don't know it's i don't know that you could ever make a movie about these people that you wouldn't feel some kind of removed from them Mm -hmm. um it's it's fucked up to say but they're not lovable people like by and large Mm -hmm. like generally i every every scene kind of had the sensation of like ooh, i need to get out of this house like yeah i've made a mistake in coming here i need to invent a reason to leave um but like yeah i i i it's weird to say but i loved this movie i uh this is a great movie i i very much enjoyed it and I think it's um, it's like shockingly good. I, another film about a mass shooting that I love is Elephant. Um, yes, Elephant has. Oh, a I very, love that movie. Definitely it, had that on the mind while watching this for sure. Definitely, yeah. Between definitely. just, I think, and that's I Gus think Van Sant, right? It is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Elephant, which uh, was one of the weirder moments of my entire college career, was inviting a girl over to watch Elephant. we were at a party we were talking about movies and i was like oh my god elephant is so good and she's like what's it about and i told her and she's like oh i'd love to watch that and like she meant <laughs> you're kind of girl brian <laughs> well i don't think that she actually wanted to watch it i think she thought that if we were alone in my room she would be able to make a move on me and she did not know me well enough because we sat there and watched all of elephant and then <laughs> talked about it for a bit and then we hooked up so Yep. Yeah, uh, I was a nightmare to people who had feelings for me in college uh, because I was very bad at picking up on cues. But I mean, Elephant is is a kind of dreamy, steady cam, you know, bright colors. It's got this sort of like looping dream logic to it. 
This movie is a lot more naturalistic, I guess, a lot more, mm-hmm. you know, jittery and jarring. And I, I think that um, that El- Elephant seeks to get you into a um, a mindset of like, this is what it's like building up on the moment of and like the, you you kind of realize like that there is no warning sign there's no klaxons blaring like this is a normal day that's just gonna happen to be interrupted by something terrible and it sort of like disabuses you of like a sensation of some sort of cosmic meaning or or build up or anything what's interesting to me is that this movie um and honestly the the real life story of it almost acts as a a kind of push back against that because i i i don't know this is just my weird catholic brain but watching this movie and then like looking it up because i was like there's a lot of stuff in this that has to be made up like this can't be real but it was and it just felt very like the story of job to me but like if the 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 whole idea of the job situation was i'm going to turn this person into a mass shooter like, let's step back and tell the audience what the story of Job means. Oh my God. First of all, if you don't know the story of Job, um, that's crazy. Well, not everybody if- is Christian or Jewish. <laughs> I just feel like that's one of those things that's permeated the, the landscape. But so the story of Job is there's this guy, his name is Job, and he's great. He's got a family. He's got a wife. Everything's cool. Job's life is perfect. And then God and the devil have like a bet. And God's like, I bet that guy will keep his faith and uh, won't turn against me. And the devil's like, I'll take that wager. And so God starts to like murder his children and destroy his like crops. And uh, it's basically an entire parable about Job getting fucked with. Um, but Job sticks to it. And uh, he ends up kind of all right at the end because he doesn't turn his back on God. It's, uh, it's a very messed up story. But it's about kind. It, it has come to symbolize that sensation of like, the universe has pointed its finger at you and said, this guy, this guy's going to have a shitty day. Um, it, it is a kind of like weird cosmic sensation of having been singled out for something. And this story just like kind of is shocking in the way that you just like feel the gears of the universe turning to put this person on this path. Um, not in a way that makes it feel exculpatory, like he had no other choice. In fact, quite the opposite. Anyone else who was given the life turns and opportunities this guy had probably would have done something vastly different. But it's like, yeah, no matter what happened, he was always fated to do something terrible. And um, like I said, I I was just like th- thrown when I like Wikipedia this guy, um, the real dude. And uh, discovered that, like, some of the things that happened in this movie were real. Um, and actually, that had been scaled back. It was just mm-hmm. it was just insane to me. What was scaled back? He, uh, he and the, the woman, the, the older rich woman, apparently bought, like, 30 cars. Mm. I thought it was crazy that she bought one car every once in a while and gave him one. But no, they apparently bought, like, 30 cars in the course of a couple months. He also went on, I think, more than a dozen trips yeah. to the U.S. in the months leading All up to the, the world. shooting. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> wow, wow. So why don't we give um, for people who haven't seen or need a reminder, just like a kind of overview of the plot. So the, a, the a plot bit. is that this guy is very difficult to be around. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll just wrap up my nutshell thoughts because I realize I've already started getting into the weeds and very specific. But like this is an impeccably acted, very well directed movie. It's it's beautiful to look at. It's it's and it, it, it moves with a kind of haunting sense of momentum. And um, I it's it's currently my number one of the year. And it's one of those times where it's like, yeah, we're only like a couple of weeks. Well, no, we're a couple months into the year now. And we haven't really gotten a lot of like top crop movies. But like, even though this is now my number one, I don't feel like it's going to be there by default. I feel like it's going to have to be dethroned at some point. And um, I'm looking forward to if it gets dethroned, because that means I will have seen two near masterpieces in a single year, which is always <laughs> great. I'm so glad you like it because <laughs> we were not sure what movie we were going to cover. And I was like, I'm just going to like really put my foot down and let to do this one. Well, and I, it seems like I, we all liked it. <laughs> when we had been talking about doing like X or then we were talking about like Apollo 10 and a half. And then we decided to do this one. And I was actually really excited because I love Justin Kurtzel. Um, I keep putting a T in his name and I know it's not there. Um, I, I love his work. Uh, I, I legitimately. Justin. Justin. <laughs> with it's i keep saying Kurtzel. i'm just i'm yeah. I'm, I'm just i'm just okay. Kurtzel would be like I, the, the german pronunciation Kurtzel. yeah yeah definitely um, germanifying yeah no it's you know instead of ossifying um <laughs> that's not right anyway uh so i've i've really liked everything i've seen from from Kurtzel. i have seen Honestly, like the true history of the Kelly gang was great. Uh, I I love Assassin's Creed, which I know might not be a popular opinion, but like legitimately probably the best video game movie that's ever been made. Um, what? Not Super Mario Brothers? No, I'm not one of those people who. <laughs> or Street like, Fighter? That's a, that's a that's a secret masterpiece. Um, I've never seen the original Street Fighter. I did see Legend of. It's so good. It's oh no. With Sorry. Klein, Kevin Klein, Chris Klein. Yeah, one of the yeah, Kleins. Yeah, both <laughs> both of them fantastic. on cocaine. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I was excited when we t- when we decided to talk about this, especially because like um. I don't know. It's not controversial to say America's got a mass shooting problem. And as a person who owns guns and has shot guns competitively, I find myself in like a really weird, interesting headspace when it comes to like mass shootings and the questions of gun control. And I, I almost rebelled just from an artistic standpoint at the way this movie ends with its kind of super, uh, superimposed like subtitles at the end that talk about like, the sweeping gun reforms that went in on in Australia um, post shooting um, just because it didn't seem like that was the story we were being told. You know, it didn't seem like we were going to build up to like a socio political statement, but I did find it super interesting the way that those like, you know, subtitles end, which is that there's more guns there now than there were at the time of the, the mass shooting. They're just illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Which is um nuts. <laughs> And and thinking about that, but then still thinking about the fact that they still haven't had a mass shooting on this scale again, whereas we uh, Americans keep seeming to be in a race with ourselves to see how many more we can do uh, is very interesting. And um, it's something that I, I like, you know, honestly, like sometimes I just find myself thinking about because my brain is diseased and broken. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to talking about this. I'm glad we talked about it, especially because it's a five-star top-of-the-year kind of movie for me. Yeah, it's funny because you asked Eric if he was aware of anything about the Port Arthur 
mass shooting or anything. And, and I actually was not familiar with it. My only reference in, in life before hearing about this movie was the fact that my father, who is very conservative and also a big fan of the second amendment would always reference how Australia and the UK banned guns. I don't even think that's like the right, <laughs> like, I don't think that's exactly accurate, but yeah. he's like, Australia and Britain banned guns and it like ruined their societies. Like <laughs> yeah. that was the okay. argument was that this was like, you know, that it, it destroyed something, but I kind of look back thinking like, yeah, but what, like, what was the argument there? I still don't know what it destroyed. I mean, I, I'm, uh, you yeah, know, I'm not an expert of, pre or post ban either of those countries. I mean, maybe their cookies got worse. Like who knows? <laughs> it's a very broad thing to say is that it just destroyed their cultures and countries. Like, I feel right. Like really and that, I mean, yeah. that's I wonder how like, they would feel about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of the, I mean, like, you know, I, uh, in doing some research, like a lot of people were very unhappy about these, um, these, these laws. Like, you know, they, they, you know, it's not like they were swept in, overwhelmingly by the entire populace but you know the politicians were able to make it work and it is interesting that like you see like at the end of this movie they talk about the buyback program which is something that gets talked about in america a lot but like the type of people who are going to do that are probably not the type of people you had to worry about like that's that's always kind of the problem and it's it's a hacky line you know that like you know the only thing that could stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun because it's it's not totally true um And um, it's it's like if you make guns criminal, then only criminals will have guns. Like, I feel like that's a little more true because, like, I don't know how to tell you this, but, like, the type of person who's about to, like, try to murder scores of people with a gun is not the type of person who's going to sell it back to the government for $200. Like, that's just not what's going to happen. It seems to have done something. I mean, it that's, disrupted the culture at, a, I think, a pivotal moment. Yeah. And that's, they, they have that's, not gone down the path we have, which I that's think is the interesting thing about this. Like, to or find is there out- something intrinsic about. Australian society versus US society that's what I'm curious about. But what's interesting is that like, you know, a lot of a lot of what I've read about, you know, the United States of America and why we have such a strong gun culture is that it's like tied into like our pioneer frontiersman like myth of the west kind of mm-hmm. like a man and a horse and a gun. But Australia spirit. has but that. Australia for Australia. sure has that too, yeah. That's <laughs> Australia 2 and 11. Like Australia <laughs> is, you know, we joke about it, but like a bunch of penal colonies. Like Port Arthur was a historical site of a penal colony. Like this is like the type of thing. It's it 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 seems weird that for some reason it would work out there in this way. But then again, you find that like somehow they also just have a shit ton of guns again. And it's it's but it they still haven't had the kind of mass shootings that we have. And it's uh it's it's weird it's weird to see that. I also think back a lot to the way that the conversations around which kind of guns need to to be taken care of because um mm-hmm. and it's it's a uh, it's referenced in this movie because it's believed to have been an actual maybe not motivator but like inspiring factor um the uh the scottish school shooting that is brought up mm-hmm. which uh, yeah. i cannot Dunblane. remember yeah Dunblane, yeah but that led to uh handgun reform in the uk and then the the Port Arthur mass shooting led to uh, pump action and semi-automatic guns being being illegal and bought back. Um, and and I recall in the '90s in America, 
it was handguns were like the big thing, you know, like handguns were the thing that needed to be taken off the street that we needed to, you know, get out of the hands of criminals. And now no one talks about handguns anymore. It's all, it's all what are termed like assault weapons, you know, Mm -hmm. AR 15 style weapons, which is, um, it's weird. It's interesting. Maybe it's not weird, but like interesting. It's the type of thing that I think about a lot. Just the way that like, we kind of have to vacillate between what was the thing used most recently that now that's what we kind of turn our attention to. Well, people think about the spectacle types of shootings that happen in the U S like, and I don't mean that in a, in a glib way, but it, but you think about like the, the essentially mass shootings that happen where, you know, dozens of people are shot up in moments because of, you know, these automatic weapons and they don't think, well, actually, I'm sure the statistics would stand by that handguns are probably the more um, the more responsible type of gu- like just when you think about the rates of who gets shot in America, like I'm sure handguns are by far the well, more. I, yes, because I think yeah. by far the, the biggest share of gun deaths is, is suicide. Exactly. Thank yep. you. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Thank you for uh, I just couldn't articulate it. But yeah, but people mm. think like, oh, no, like this big thing that happened in the news, like that's what we need to be worrying about and not like cars, which are far more deadly. I think even swimming pools technically take more lives. Um, But don't quote me on that. Cause I feel like I I looked that up once and it seemed to be true (laughs) that (laughs) we have a bizarre amount of drownings in backyard swimming pools. But I mean like, you know, Virginia tech was, was two handguns. Wow. Like, and that's, and that, like, right. Everyone just said, wow. Cause I think it's a thing that gets lost is that like, you know, even those are, can still be pretty not great. Um, yeah. So this I, movie was controversial in, in Australia for a number of different reasons. But one that I read along this point was that people were, uh, felt that those, those title cards at the end were misleading because apparently mm-hmm. it's not so much that there are more handguns than ever in the sense that like they're more widespread than ever, but apparently after the, they instituted their buyback um, people who already owned a lot of guns acquired a whole lot more. Yeah. And so that's like when Obama was elected. Exactly. There were, (laughs) there were runs on the gun shop. (laughs) So it's, it's not necessarily that they're, they're everywhere and the criminals still have them. It's, it's that people who were really set on, on keeping them for their, for hunting or for whatever reason stockpiled them. (laughs) And now there, there's a ton. So the call to action at the end, well, it's like when people, if we want to call it that is, is, iffy. well, that's the thing is like, you know, the movie didn't end with like, call your Senator and demand sensible, right. <laughs> sensible gun control. Um, and it, you know, it could be misleading, but at the same time, like those people were still able to acquire those guns. Right. And, like that's, that is a, that is a thing. Um, but it's kind of like when people say like half of all marriages end in divorce, but it's like, you know, if you break it down by like first time marriages, <laughs> right. like versus second and third, Cause like, I think 70% of all third marriages end in divorce. <laughs> don't <Wow>. laugh. I mean, <laughs> it's, I don't know where it goes uh, I laughed there. because that, uh, reminds me of a relative of mine. Oh, okay, good. All right. Then laugh all you want. Um, I will laugh at their tragedies. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yes. But so like it, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And these, I mean, like the, I think one of the first, maybe not the, it wasn't the first mass shooting in America, but one of the first really widely known kind of widely reported shootings 
in America, I think was also done uh, mostly with, with a handgun. It was, um, I think it was 1949. It was Howard Unra, who was a, a World War II veteran who, who shot up, <laughs> shot up a town in New Jersey. Um, that wasn't, so the bell tower thing was in the 60s. No, that was, that was the UT, uh, Austin mm. shooting. That was a, that was Whitman. That was a, um, that was a, a former, or I don't think you're ever technically a former Marine. I think it's like being an Eagle Scout. You will always. Be. Yeah. People, people get up in arms about that. Yeah. So yeah, he, I think, he I think maybe, then, maybe they would, they would be okay with it in this instance. Yeah. I feel like he probably got his Marinehood stripped, um, at that point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's. And I think that one of the things that is is interesting about this movie is how it kind of sidesteps. And that's one of the reasons why this, the, the titles at the end kind of struck me as so weird is that it doesn't seem to be about, you know, here are the political th- – like even as he's going and buying all of these guns from, you know, actual dealers to, you know, private citizens, um, it doesn't feel like the movie's trying to say something – you know, like that, like all of this was very untoward, you know, these people, you know, it, it, even though you kind of get that sense, cause it's like, who the hell would give this guy a gun, you know, in those moments, those people are just seeing him as, you know, a guy in the shop. They haven't been with him the, the two hours that we were with him. Right. So it, it kind of lays. They also let him buy a hell of a lot of guns though. <laughs> they do. Like, they do. That but, bit where know. he offers to pay more if he doesn't have to register them. Structurally. Right. <laughs> And they're just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, that's well, they're right. like, well, you know, you're not getting a handgun, so you don't have to register it. Which is again another one of those things where it's like, if you want to get a handgun, it's it's a lot of work. But the the idea was always like, well, if you're getting a long rifle, you can't carry that into a movie theater. Um, but clearly, you can. Yeah. Which is, oh, God, it's just it's very odd. But it's it's and it's again like this is a, a thing that I have to think about or had had to think about a lot when I was growing up. Um. Yeah, but I, I like the fact that this movie is able to ground itself in this very human story, and it, it it acts as an observer that is clearly observing certain moments for a reason, but doesn't ever feel like it's trying to be exculpatory or excusing this guy or like trying to purely blame like society or the availability of guns. It's this. It's this like. It's like a horrible thing to say, but it's like a perfect situation for this. And it's just like the... Like a perfect storm? Right. It's like this... Like That's why I keep saying it's like a cosmic tragedy. It's like all of these things had to go completely wrong in this specific way for this to happen. Like, I thought it was like, oh, isn't that like kind of a neat in an in a mean way like i like like, a contrivance right like it's a contrivance that he's gonna go and like you know shoot these people who bought the bed and breakfast that his father wanted nope that apparently was real that that happened and then apparently that's where he was caught is that he he took a hostage and went back there and so it 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 really does like it it the more you the more you realize how much of this movie is rooted in truth. I won't say is true, but is rooted in truth. The more you kind of get this like horrifying sense of like, what, what could have stopped this? Like, it's just like, 
Well, and that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying at the beginning, right? It's like there's so many people along this path or along this character's path that you could easily go, well, why didn't you do something or say something? And it's like, well, there are 50 other people along that path, too. Right. You exactly. know, <laughs> it's it's so crazy that there's so many, so many. I, I think that's the big thing is. It's so easy to look back and say, oh, there's so many red flags. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of red flags about a lot of people that never end up doing this kind of stuff. And that's that's the issue of like, you know, allowing anyone to buy a gun. You know, it's like no matter how legitimate it may seem at any point, they can easily just turn around and snap you know um so it's like okay either we just ban them all together or we have to figure out how to live as a society that we give people the ability to take a life from a long distance right and i mean that's that's one of the biggest issues right well, is, even, in these mm-hmm. situations it's not even like it's a long distance like he opened fire in that rush sure most of those people were like <laughs> 10 paces from him but it's the speed at which you're able to correct to do it. right and that's one of the reasons why semi-automatic you know gas operated bolt rifles become the not to be glib about it but become the boogeyman in the media is because they are shockingly effective at moving a lot of lead very quickly um mm-hmm. i i was a professional and, and we're soft we're, we're soft fleshy fleshy creatures oh, yeah, so you know it's I, like I a, oh a bullet I a oh i lose and i shot 22 caliber long rifle and for anyone who doesn't know 22 caliber is like just a shade above an air rifle like it still uses yeah. like it's, it's a small and powder, but it's very small. There's like Pe- people no call details. it a squirrel. People call it a squirrel bullet, basically. Yeah, precisely. It's it's a varmint rifle. Um, and it's not <laughs> it's and, you know, almost all of them are subsonic loads like they're not very powerful. Uh, the first time I shot an AR-15 just coming off of only shooting 22 caliber long rifle, I didn't even realize that it had actually fired because the the it's. From an engineering standpoint, it's it's genius. Like it's so well made that it, it takes all of the kinetic energy that would usually kick back against you and diffuses it and uses it to work the bolt. And it's just like nothing. It's like being whispered at by a baby. And like that's I, so scary to me. Right. It was scary <laughs> I to think me. Making it that easy is, is I was yeah. you know, as a as an implement of war that's awesome though apparently uh when they transferred over from the m1 or the m14 i think the carbine version of the m1 uh which i believe is 30-06 or 30 like yeah but anyway was a higher caliber bullet to a 223 which is just slightly bigger than the p-sized 22 caliber but it still obviously has like a, a bigger a bigger load behind it like those veterans were like pissed off because they're shooting a smaller bullet faster and they said it had no basically stopping power like there was no kinetic force behind the bullet to like make someone stop just from getting shot so like they talk about it actually in the book black hawk down that the um somalis that were shooting were using uh ak-47s which use a Mm 7.62 round and the you know deltas and um 
the Rangers were using an M16 or, you know, the M4 carbine, which has the 223. And they were saying, like, the bullets just zip through a guy. And if the guy is, like, juiced up on cot or, you know, just adrenaline and is coming at you, he might not even realize he's been shot because it's such a low caliber, high velocity round, which is crazy. So, yes, we're talking about a lot of stuff that I think it, like you said, it is interesting, but the movie seems to have no interest in those specifics. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which I think is, is an interesting contrast. Um, I just watched or rewatched Snowtown to prep for this. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurzel's debut, which uh, in comparison, um, Nitram is so much more restrained. Um, Snowtown also about mass murder. Uh, it, it gets into a lot more of the nitty gritty of, of how exactly they tortured and, and, you know, dismembered their victims. But this, um, we we don't get into the specifics of what exactly happened on that day and i think it's an interesting question especially because like i said this this movie wound up being pretty controversial in australia because it makes that choice to to not at all focus on the actual event Mm -hmm. can be seen as as erasing the victims because that you know they're literally not in it um what actually happened to them is not part of this story which i think is fascinating well uh, so i'm curious like do you uh eric think that like do you have an opinion on that like do you think that it was a smart choice not to show because i i don't know i think i think it's a catch-22 i think especially something like this which you know like we were saying it's it's not he's not exactly the real guy. Like there were things that happened. Like the real guy had a younger sister. Mm-hmm. The real guy uh, was in a relationship at the time of, of the shooting. And this movie doesn't get into any of that. And so by reversing his name and calling him that in the movie and making the movie about this sort of slightly fictionalized version of reality, it, it does sort of feel to me like you're sidestepping responsibility for all of that. But I think this movie on the other hand, also wants you to like live in that discomfort like and that's something that i again enjoy is the wrong word but i enjoy thinking through those things i don't know if i actually have a conclusion or a particular opinion but i i can definitely see both sides here and definitely want to get your opinions on that yeah i i mean i i remember being a a young shitty kid and joking about like why would you go and see titanic you know how it's gonna end um (laughs) And this movie, even as he's sitting in that cafe, finishing that fruit cup and then setting up the video camera, I, I, there was just a part of my soul that was like, maybe, maybe it won't happen. Like, maybe this isn't going to happen. And I, I, I was kind of worried about what it was going to do with that because I didn't want the spectacle and I didn't want it to turn into horror because I wanted to be in the discomfort and I didn't exactly. want to risk like an adrenaline high that I could mistake for thrill. Exactly. Yes. You know, so like I, I yeah. understand not like the, the discomfort of being like, why are we focusing a two hour movie on this son of a bitch? You know, but I feel like if you were to just like pick, Mary Jane Australian and like follow her for two hours and then have it end with, and then she was murdered by this, this guy. I I feel like that's more exploitative. I feel like that's a lot worse. I feel like 
That's some gimmick, essentially. Yeah, like you know, you people this... got very upset when the the first season of the OA ended that way. Yeah, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> spoilers for the first season spoilers. of the OA, but. <laughs> The, the last episode of the first season ends with a school shooting that had zero buildup through the, the entire rest of the story. And you know, that's a bold I... choice. I think it totally works. I think that, that show is brilliant, but a whole lot of people felt very differently than I did. That is that is very interesting. When I, when I was writing a novel once, I said, I, I don't know where this is going. I've put this character through so much already. What if I just have him get hit by a bus and die and then just the last chapter is like a rundown of all the things that were just left unfinished in his life and like just have that be it. And like the whole point of the novel suddenly goes from here's a guy struggling to make right to sometimes you just fucking die and everything in your life is left undone. Um, like, <laughs> right. Which is, you know, it's true. Like, you know, I, I have had many people in my life who passed away suddenly and you're just like, but they didn't get to have their climactic arc like this this isn't cool you know some of them didn't even graduate from college some of them didn't get to see their children get married like what the fuck was the point of that like this was did they get written out for something you know did they get a better job somewhere their contract ended exactly they negotiated too hard they didn't think the producers could do it without them (laughs) but yeah like you know but you, you 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 don't as like edgy and hardcore of an idea as that is, like I don't know if I had invested an entire season and then suddenly there's a school shooting. Like I, sometimes when I'm on a plane, I think to myself like, well, this doesn't feel like a moment when a plane would go down and kill me. And then I immediately think, <laughs> but I'm sure that's literally how that's everyone who's ever died in a plane <laughs> crash felt. Oh, I always felt that if I kept the television on, then nothing bad would happen. Like, because I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. And so I was like, I always had the TV on in the background. And I always just felt like bad things, like scary bad things don't happen with a TV on in the background. Right. And I, clearly and I, you've never seen the ring. <laughs> or I never saw a uh, scream or whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, but I think that that's actually part of what was the most haunting about the way that this this movie reaches its climax is that again he's sitting in that cafe he's he's eating that fruit cup and drinking that juice and i found myself just like if he had gotten a bigger meal maybe less people would have died you know which is like but that's that's one of those like details that you see in a movie like this and you're like like oh my god just like your mind reels like if he hadn't decided he wanted well, a surfboard and hadn't gone to like try to make money with this lawnmower that apparently he didn't know how to use. And he hadn't met this woman who was rich who, yeah, you know, like it's, and again, it's that, that kind of like cosmic dominoes. Like it, it had to all be leading to this, but like, why that's, so hey, we see it all now as my, foreshadowing, but yeah. But at my, the time, my it question, been a fun story for this Just, guy. If exactly. he hadn't, you know, murdered all these people and, and, but like him sitting there and watching those people who were like, just having their days, to me, that's, again, more haunting than if we had gotten to, like, spend a whole movie with one of those people. Because, yeah, it would have seemed gimmicky and it would have seemed out of nowhere. And I think this way it just becomes – you become, like, the people in in the gun shop or the people who sold in the guns or, like, the, the guy – heaven forbid – the guy at the car dealership where you're just, like, I haven't had to live with this guy. But the 15 minutes that I was in the <laughs> presence of this guy were just, like – just like completely threw me off. Like, this is just like one of these things and I have no context for it personally, 
but there's something wrong with this guy and I'm just glad he's gone. Or like, you know, he seemed a little off, but you know, he wasn't that bad. But like, you know, when I was about to say when you die in a mass shooting, which is the darkest thing I've ever said. If you die in a mass shooting, (laughs) the odds are that it's not going to be someone who you know the story of. You're going to look at this person and say, oh my God, but why? And this movie at once tries to give you an oh my God, but why? But also seems to understand that that's not a question that can actually be answered. What were you going to ask, Bill? You had you said you had a question. Uh, I, I was going to ask how he only had that m- much money to, for a final meal. Like sh- this guy's fucking loaded still. Like he he, bu- he 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 didn't buy that many guns. Um, <laughs> so like maybe the he fact just that didn't have cash on him. Maybe he just didn't. Yeah. It it, no. Yeah. No. They, there's a false. He he has cash on him. Did you not see the duffel bag full of cash that he he <laughs> bought the the ARs with? Like oh yeah, he, this dude's rolling in cash. It, I I just think I don't know. It, it, it it's it's fun. Ugh. Mm. Let me let me rephrase <laughs> that. Talk about this um, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think like why they depicted it in that way. Um, that he only had a couple of bucks on him in this kind of final moment. I and think it's like, he he really struggles un- with understanding the question of worth several times throughout the movie. He just sort of shows mm-hmm. up and shoves mm-hmm. cash at people and says, "Is this going to cover it? Is this enough?" Sure. So he managed yeah. to just grab a handful of change. Didn't had no concept of how much food that would get him. He does the same yeah, thing that's... with the cashier at the end. He's like, "What? What'll this get me?" He mm-hmm. doesn't even look down at the money he's handing her. It's just, and I, I, feel... you could spend like a whole other podcast talking about like the parental relationship in this, but him, yeah. him not fundamentally understanding how to, how to like interface with people is is a big part of this like just the the way in which he strikes up this friendship with se davis's helen and like you know she she seems to understand him more than most other people but that understanding means that she's going to give him more latitude which his mother kind of warns is like the thing that he uses to to hurt you eventually and it's what happens because she thinks she can can exist with him and and just be you know okay with his his weird jokes like lunging for the the fucking steering wheel and and moving it and apparently does it a lot and and it just ends up killing her one time. Well, I I think the I guess we're thing in spoiler is section though. now, huh? Yeah, I've been here like for an hour ish. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. why the fuck not? Uh, I I think I think something interesting though is that like he is genuinely upset when he finds out that she's dead, well, right? And I think Caleb Landry I, Jones is, is harrowing. Oh my god, yeah. where he's See, howling yes. in the the hospital. Oh my god, I, like I know Robin that you said that it's a cold movie, and I think it is. And like you said, you weren't like close to crying or anything. Like, but I was. But when I say cold, I don't mean like, I don't mean like, uh, like darkly gray and just like totally untouchable. I just mean that I did feel some distance where maybe with a different director, I would have felt like more in the moment, like with Elephant, where I felt very immersed in that world. Oh, see, see, Elephant, I found to be, (sighs) see, this is the interesting thing about cinema, (laughs) he said, (laughs) stroking his beard, Um, (laughs) is that. 
elephant yes is, go on is very i'm working on it i'm trying to put my words together as i speak them so elephant is very like with its characters but you don't feel like you really get on the inside of them but just existing aesthetically in that space with them following them with this kind of like gliding camera you feel a closest to them but like even if i had to describe like one of the main characters in that movie i'd be like oh well he he really wants his girlfriend to come for buying with him (laughs) but like like that's kind of it that's really all you get but like just the way that he's acting and his kind of like charming insouciance but like with his kind of self-aware like gawkiness is just like you you get in it and so i i found that movie to be very impersonal but you still grow an affection for the characters just because of again that that weird aesthetic sensation that you exist in these halls with them i i think robin i see what you're saying i think that the character himself is sort of aware of that he says that thing about how he looks at himself in the mirror and just like can't quite see that reflection as a person Mm -hmm. and i think the film is doing a similar thing like when he's buying the gun for example or uh i don't know when when he's eating that meal at the end we're sort of just watching him watch other people and it's so alien in a way like there's just something about his performance like he's there but he's not in it and i think that we can feel that too but i think that's definitely an intentional he's so he's present but he's distanced from everyone around him in a way that's haunting like, to me the only way that you ever like that scene in the, it's seen in the uh in the hospital is the the one point where you feel like I, it was the one moment where I felt like what I would call like earnest empathy for Nitram. Like, cause yeah. it becomes very clear that just like in the beginning when he's in a hospital where he's like, I burned myself with fireworks and I'm totally going to play with them again. And like the reporter asks like, you know, but didn't you learn your lesson? And he's like, Oh yeah, but I still want to do it. It's just like, yeah. Even that hospital scene though, as, as he's, you know, howling out his grief. Um, Judy Davis is just sitting there just sort of like dispassionately patting his hand, you know, yes, they're there, good boy. That. Yeah. And it's right. She's so checked out from that, that mother son relationship. It's, she, it's been like 25 fucking years of this. Shit. Yeah. Have like, you seen, um, we need to talk about Kevin. Cause I could yes. kind of see these three movies, uh, th- also elephant existing on sort of the same wavelength for sure. Um, and I, I really like those other two movies and I like this one. I just don't know if I love it and I'm trying to figure out what the difference is. Man, this would make like an, a really <laughs> um, unique like film, not marathon. What's the word? Like a curated like film series. Like these three yeah, movies. Like a, like a, yeah. There would yeah. Be more. like a series I think is the word for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't I'm seen. Try- yeah. We need to talk about Kevin. Um, oh, I think you should. I think Brian, you would have a lot to feel about it. It's like if this focused on the Judy Davis character rather than yeah him, and you saw you saw all the little things that were maybe leading somewhere bad, and she's just powerless to stop it until it's too late. I um, there's a movie that I I feel like I keep bringing it up, but I never remember what its actual name is. It's it's another. It's like kind of based on Virginia Tech, actually. And I think it stars Michael Sheen. Oh, I 
Christ. Um, it is, uh, as he very quickly scans through Michael Sheen's filmography, trying to find it, and I can't find it anywhere, and I'm filling and I'm vamping. Oh, Beautiful Boy. <laughs> it's called Beautiful Boy, mm-hmm. and it's about a married couple who were already on the verge of separation, and then they find out that their son shot up his college. Um, and it's it's uh, Maria Bello and Michael Sheen. Um, and that's, but that, that one is all like post shooting. Hmm. Like, so it's, it's, um, it's very, I like, I remember liking it. Uh, I, I could tell you very little about it now, but I mean, it's, um, I almost wonder like if, if, if that's more impactful than the leading up to it. Cause I think that there's a kind of built in dread about it. Like when you when you know what's mm. coming, and afterwards, like it's just the devastation, right? So mass maybe, from last year is on a similar. Yeah, I was thinking spectrum, about I that think. too. Oh, I think it's mass about a mass shooting, right? It's about the parents of a victim and the parents of the perpetrator coming together, and just the four of them sitting in a room and just sort of talking it out. Ah. <laughs> oh, it's a, um, it's a single room movie, is it? Yep. Oh, it's by Fran Kranz. Yeah, surprisingly. <laughs> the, the the nerdy techie guy the, from Dollhouse? The stoner from Cabin in the Woods, yep. The stoner from Cabin in the Woods? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. He was so it's good as fantastic. that stoner. He, he should have, like, uh, I, I like the guy that they ultimately ended up picking for Shaggy. Um, I've actually interviewed him about that role. but Wait, uh, Matthew Lillard? No. Yeah, I, I got to interview Matthew Litter, and uh, I, I couldn't help but at the at the end talk about. Uh, I think we were talking about Fat Kid or something like that. He he made a movie um, about like uh, bullying and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, at the end, I like I just I was like, okay, we got to talk about Scooby Doo, and he was we just like, oh, okay, Kevin. we need to talk about Scooby Doo. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think I think Fran Kranz would have been a, a great uh, Scoot or uh, Shaggy. Did you say Scoot? <laughs> Scooby. Oh, I said okay. I, I said Scooby. Were, I thought you just were like Scoot McNary instead of Shaggy. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that we have so many movies about this. I, I had no idea yeah, that Mass I think... was about a, uh, a mass shooting. I assumed that yeah. it was something to do with church. Well, they, they use a church's meeting room, so there's a little oh, bit of a double thing God, going on. There's so yep. many levels. Also, Wait, I bet... there's a church movie that you haven't wanted to rush out and see? <laughs> I like only heard about Mass when it arrived at my house for screener season, and I was like, guess what I don't have time to do? Oh wow! Okay. Burn it! I, you know, it just it. I was kind of like taking the vibe of what I figured would get nominated, and um, and I wanted to check out those because I wanted, you know, because I didn't <laughs> want to like be the guy who's like, I think that this deserves to win, and then everyone's like, no one's heard of it. We're not doing it. And now oh, that was watch that was me with Mass this year. <laughs> I, I was pulling for all four Mass to get the the four oh, Oscar damn. nominations. See, yeah. but I feel like that's what I'm going to be like this year with uh with with Knit Room. I'm going to be Probably. like, all right, yep. <laughs> supporting it actor. So weird, Knit Room. Like I thought the whole thing in the movie was that they were ma- that the nickname he hated was Knit Ram. Like, I think it is knit ram, but I am not. I I'm, I'm my, my my mouth's moving too fast to get knit ram out. It's like a real block stopper when you just have to hit both of those syllables that hard. <laughs> they never call him because I couldn't hear any of it. But like, did they ever call him? You anything? didn't listen to this. Nope. 
<laughs> Robin. No, no, no. <laughs> what I mean is like they were t- with their Australian accents. Like uh-huh. I couldn't really tell no, what yeah, they the, were. They don't call him anything him. other than Nitram or his like parents call him mate. my son. Yeah. Like yeah. buddy guy. Judy Davis asks Essie what so you see in my son. At any That's point it. calls him Nitrum. <laughs> no, it's no one ever says Nitrum. It is uh, the the bartender calls him Nitrim. Nitram. And and then in the when they're getting baked in the car, when he gets right. like the cashed bong, which is how you know someone doesn't like you is when they're fucking stoned and they still don't let you get a sizable hit. Um <laughs> He says, like, why do they call you Knit Ram? Like, you know, is it because you got knits? Like, and he starts playing with his hair like he's got lice or something. And he's like, I yeah, I just wasn't sure if, like, where the nickname's origins were. Like, I, I could see if his it's real, his, if his name was Nitro and they called him Knit Ram to be it's, backwards. it's the real guy's name spelled okay, backwards. Okay, so in the movie, yeah. theoretically, this character's name may have actually been but they never call him that. God damn it, Robin. What? <laughs> we, we read an entire thing to ourselves about how we weren't going to say that name. And as part of it, that whole thing said, the character's name in the movie is Nitram. <laughs> I will have, and this has to get cut or bleeped. I don't know, whatever's funnier. Um, but I will say that, yes, <laughs> this, is, this is clearly that character's name. Is that, that was not clear to me. I thought the whole time this guy's name was Nitrum and that people were like calling him Nitram to be assholes. No, no. They're <laughs> calling him Nitram to be assholes, but they are right. getting Nitram a different... from inverting <laughs> the other name. A different asshole. It's, it's Alucard. It's Alucard. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It is Dracula is Alucard. Yep. <laughs> Wait, what the hell is that from? Oh, God. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, Wait, what is Alucard? Castlevania, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know that shit. <laughs> no, that's that's I've I've never I've never played a Castlevania game in my entire life, Robin. Like it's it's just out there. It's it's okay, one of those just, famous. It's one there. <laughs> it's it's one of those famous like backwards and like. like and, you know and uses, I and I think I think they even use it in Dracula. I have if I'm not mistaken, here. Brom Stokers. I um, I what was I gonna say? Um, Nilbog is another one, like Goblin and Nilbog. What the yeah, fuck I, are I, we talking I don't know. about? <laughs> I don't know about Nilbog. You <laughs> seemed really confused as to Nitram versus Nitram versus. No, I just wasn't sure what the characters. Christian name was in the movie. Christian name were, probably would be the same as the name of the real guy. Probably. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but and we... my whole ta- thing was like trying to figure out why Anthony LaPaglia and Judy Davis named their son Nitrum when they seemed <laughs> such like normal people and not like weird hippies. No, yeah, I, right. Okay. But I, th- I think it is that's, worth. That's fair. I guess that's a fair thing. I think it is worth talking about though of of what what that act of calling the movie the real guy's name backwards does because i know i think Thank in you. australia i think one of the reasons this was so controversial is because he was so open about the fact that he did this for the notoriety he i think during the trial and such was was gleeful about the fact that he was you know the most famous most hated man in australia at the time and so i think making this movie from an australian perspective i think 
it's a double-edged sword in not wanting to give him the the notoriety he wanted. So by inverting his name like that, you're you're preventing him from having the you know how many Ted Bundy movies are are there called Ted Bundy? Like he doesn't get that. He he gets so this is really to spite the real dude. Uh, that's I I think that's my understanding. Yeah, I think that there's there's a couple of reasons that it could be. It's because this was a childhood nickname that he hated, and in the movie he says that, mm-hmm. but that. You know, we are we are watching him interact with the world and the world seems to think of him as that, you know, and he talks about not understanding himself when he sees himself in the mirror. And so if you want to say, like, this is the mirror version of his name, you know, you, the you mirror can, version, the, the mirror version. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So like, you know, it's it's the, like, you know, so there's there's a lot of reasons, much like the movie Mass. I think a lot can be read into this name. <laughs> Um, which I've just found out about. And I, I think that, um, you know, it could be a giant, you know, fuck you to this guy. Like, you know, we're going to make a movie about you, but we're going to use that shitty name that you hate. Or it could be, you know, like the movie, the worst person in the world where like, you know, that the concept of being the worst person in the world is like a self-inflicted character thing. And the movie's not actually calling people the worst people in the world. This movie could be saying like, this is how he sees himself. This is how the world sees him. And so, like, that's kind of what happened. Like, you know, mm. it's, it's, um, there's a lot in there. I mean, I kind of even made a joke about it. I'm like, you don't want to use the guy's name, but you come up with this fucking craziness, just call him Joe. And right. then when I looked it up and found out that, like, this was apparently uh, a childhood name that stuck. And when they talked about it in the movie, I was like, okay, I understand now. So, so that's, I think, the big question for me is like, is this a biopic or is it, fictionalized i don't think it's a biopic because it's not him remembering his life as he prepares to go on stage for a concert that's it that was what i was waiting for this podcast is over <laughs> that was good um, i i so i struggle with that because like i know like not everything is going to be a one-to-one um you know, translation of this person's life, but it doesn't seem like they're trying too hard to fictionalize it either. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it depends on what you mean when you say, when you say biopic, I mean, like, you know, I made a joke about it, but like, I feel like Ray and walk the line are biopics because they try to encapsulate a whole lot of life. Whereas something like, I don't know. Mm, like, I don't know because Judy is definitely a biopic and it's only about like six weeks in Judy I ain't Garland's seen Judy. life. Who do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, it, it gets like it, it does depend on what you mean by biopic. Like, is something that is a historical drama, you know, that focuses on a real life character a biopic? Like, you know, I like when I watch when I watch Bloody Sunday. You know, is is it a biopic of the the guy who organized the 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 march that turned into the shooting? Like, I don't think so. But like, you know, you could probably kind of make that that uh that that call if you really wanted to. I don't know. I I, I feel like this is kind of a biopic, but it's also like a like a I don't know. I don't even. Know I think I would. This. I think I would call it a biopic if not for any other reason than because of those title cards we get at the end, like we are definitely supposed to think this is the actual Port Arthur mass shooting. So I, I think to say that this guy is anyone, but the actual guy 
does do a disservice to, to victims like, and to what actually happened. If you're instead inserting your own fictional character into this real tragedy, um, I think we end in more like horror, tra- uh, yeah. you know, horror I guess territory. To me, it comes down to intent. Like to me, a biopic is usually like, let's, let's like, but even, even as I'm saying, it, I'm realizing, well, this does kind of fit into that. But I don't it, know. Yeah. I feel like biopics are usually a little more like celebratory. Like, you know, is is um is Wolf of Wall Street a biopic? Mm, mm. Yeah. I've never heard. No, of fuck that. that. No, that <laughs> one I think is more about it. capturing an age than that one. But man. it's definitely about this real one guy, and it's like not about anybody else. Uh, I what? Mean, Robin it, makes a compelling point. This is why I brought it up because it's. <laughs> It is Jordan Belfort's movie, as told by Jordan Belfort, using the real the fucking ass based on game, the real Jordan guy's Belfort, memoir. Yeah, you know. Well, I, I think, but that I, I, think, I think no, I think that is a good that's a good example because that is a biopic told with a point of view in spite of the real person. I think that that movie does not like its central person. The, I, I, okay. I think I, I think the issue that we're running into though is whether these things have to be seen and, and this is the biggest issue that you know we've even run into on this podcast in, in like the Slack channel when I was talking about um the the movie about the the queen a couple of years ago with Emma Stone and uh that oh, that one the favorite oh the favorite yeah, yeah the favorite and he i can't remember who it was but one of our podcast listeners or subscribers uh he was kind of upset that they basically take took a real character and and everything but you know reality kind of depicted this you know scandalous affair that she supposedly did or didn't have and all of this stuff and i was like that doesn't matter to me like i don't care if that's fictional or or you know it also wasn't as fictional as people think like well, it was a I mean, heist, it, yes, but it's definitely based on real oh, see, characters and real rumors. It, of it that is, time you, okay, Robin, I was just about to say. I mean, like it's based on rumors. You are correct that they really were rumors. That's <laughs> yes, that's very no, but it's not to, like it's not like taking a character and then just being like, well, whatever. Like they're oh, you mean like Abraham Lincoln ago. Vampire Hunter? Right, I mean, that's, also not those a rumors. Like those rumors, were, uh, or is it? I don't like, know. Where there's smoke, there's fire. That's all I'm gonna say when it comes to like historical gossip mongering. Uh, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure they, that uh, that one queen wasn't killed fucking a horse. That's not okay. But that nobody ever thought that was real. <laughs> oh, why not? That's like, mythos. If, 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 you, if you think if you think most of it is real, then why not the end? Robin, I don't want to quote you yourself, but where there's smoke, <laughs> there is in fact like, often fire. That's just like obvious bullshit versus the court intrigue of you know Queen Anne. So so a person can love another woman, but they can't love a horse, is what you're saying. 
Very when good. a man oh, loves a woman, <laughs> Bill, I was um, please don't. <laughs> oh, a was woman really loves a horse. You were gonna say when a horse. horse loves a woman. <laughs> when a horse loves a woman. <laughs> there we go. Um, but no, I, I I think that's that's the biggest issue that we're running into is you know even in the in the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Like how much of that is how much of that are we supposed to take away? is being true uh you know you go back to the social network right and it's like how much how much faithfulness do we actually need to tell in the story right, like i i think that and, things like built like like the social network right or um lincoln which is weird because it's called lincoln but it's definitely mm-hmm. not about lincoln it's about passing those amendments and i feel like there is a difference between a biopic and a movie that exists to explain or delve into a moment in time, but necessarily must do it through the eyes of historically accurate characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I wouldn't call Lincoln a Lincoln biopic. Again, despite the fact that it's fucking called Lincoln. They should have kept the name Team of Rivals or whatever. That's all other thing. I think that this falls into that. Uh, John Carter should have yeah. been called John Carter of Mars, 100%, too. 100%. Yeah, you know. true. You gotta true, stop. True, true. Giving movies boring <laughs> titles. We need more. Um, <laughs> I think there's an interesting tension between. I think they call them like a like a great man biopic, like mm. Lincoln, versus something that's trying to capture more of a an environment or a series of events. And I think we run into that here, especially the whole question of whether you're trying to humanize evil. And I think a biopic tends tries to in a lot of cases, take somebody who is larger than life or is a mythic figure, make them seem more immediate on screen. Um, and so Nitrim, I think, is doing something similar. It's taking somebody who has become this, you know, a boogeyman in, in Australian myth and is making him human, which people get upset about. But I think it's, it is an uncomfortable truth that we have to sit in is that people, he and people like him are human. And, you know, what is what does that mean for the rest of us? Yeah, and and there was a lot of controversy in Tasmania, or I mean, in Australia in general, about even just the fact that they wanted to make this movie. And right. a lot of people sure. believe that just for the fact of the movie itself, it was disrespectful to the victims, and 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 so it's like there's like a no-win situation here. Very like much. Nobody's so. ever going to be happy with the fact that this movie. Uh, erased some of that violence but nobody's going to be happy but the fact that the movie didn't include the the victims like i don't you know i don't think that any one person unfortunately owns a tragedy like this and so i'm very much of the opinion that like maybe this is controversial to say but i think most anything can be turned into a movie um oh i mean like we turned flight nine nine whatever 93 united yeah, 93. Like, i was gonna yeah. say 993 but i was like no that was my nope. boy scout troop <laughs> <laughs> yeah we turned flight oh, yeah. 93 into a movie like less like maybe five or six years later it was fast for sure it was super fast <laughs> that's a great movie though i mean like fucking insanely good yeah and i can't bring myself to watch that movie like frankly there's a lot of movies that i'm just i know i'm never gonna see like i'll probably never see schindler's list but i don't think the movie shouldn't have been made then again I'm also not somebody who was a part of this kind of historical event. So it's, you know, who am I to say, but I also think of things like, like things in my own life where I'm like, 
yeah, that could be made into a movie. Like, that's fine. <laughs> like, right, Robin, tell like, us whatever. something from your own life that you'd find being okay turning into a movie. How far she has to go for laundry. <laughs> oh, they already made that movie, Bill. The it's tragedy the of Hobbit. my life. <laughs> I mean, both of my parents have been incarcerated. So like, that's, you know, a quote unquote tragic thing of my life. Oh, so you, um, although, you have like a glass castle kind of story? Yeah. I mean, not, not really glass castle. My parents weren't incarcerated for that long, but they, my, my life story is probably fairly similar to like running with scissors. Like that's pretty much the only thing I ever read as a child and felt like, Oh yeah, this guy gets it. Augustine Burroughs. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I only know that name because in the trailer for that movie, they say it like seven times. (laughs) That's a good point. So anyway, the, the point is like, I'm, I'm just saying like, I am somebody that I could be very sensitive about certain things being put on film but as long as I'm the one that's connected to the story, I like as long as I have some ownership of the story, I think I would feel comfortable putting it in the hands of a director or a writer. Um, I forget where I was going with this because, oh, because all I'm saying is I understand both the reasons why somebody would would shy away from something like this being made. But I also feel like morally that like or rather there is no moral argument against making a movie about something that is very sensitive and tragic like this story does that make any sense like who like who owns this and no no one to tell yeah no no one owns this and i i I think i think that becomes very complicated because then you know even more so it becomes complicated because then we start talking about art and no matter how much these production this production wants to distance itself and still tell the story away from the actual tragedy and the actual real life characters it can't it's not going to it's clearly not striving to right and so then it becomes an issue of well i want to make this thing that you know speaks to me in some way and like if i was to paint a portrait of this and people got mad it would be like go fuck yourself like i'm sorry there actually was a case somebody painted a a, like a landscape of port arthur like the 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 site of the mass shooting and there is a very a visible small little blurry image of the the real guy in the what? woods was a major controversy down there. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So I know yep. that I, I read that um, like reporters taken photographs of him in his cell uh-huh. and they, they made them go back and destroy the film in front of him so that he like was aware of the fact that no one was going to see him in there. Hmm. Exactly. Because so I, I have Googled the concerned. real person and you cannot find a photo like, or you can, but it's like extremely blurry and like through a window. Yeah. Like there's, there's a whole, like his whole, like they were very into the idea that like he might have done this purely to like get famous and they wanted to deny him that. Yeah. Um, there's, and I think, but I think it's, it's unavoidable. I mean, putting him in the landscape, uh, I'm paraphrasing the artist of, of that uh, painting but he what happened there is part of the landscape and so yeah, putting him yeah. in the in the painting should be fair game i think i think um, so and it's it, yeah. it's not it's provocative for sure but i think people have a a weird a weird relationship with uh 
art and the way that things are portrayed in art because you know you see these grand old paintings of like generals on horses and Mm-hmm. the gods of olympus and stuff and you think like well if someone is immortalized in art that is an honor but that is 100 percent not true <laughs> like right. yeah you know it's a lot of people have been like viciously lambasted in art like you know the art is not always a way to glorify <laughs> someone. There, there is there is a va- very famous uh i don't know if y'all know who cristiano ronaldo is but he's a very famous superstar soccer player international oh, yes. soccer player and uh there is a very famous uh bronze statue or bronze uh uh, what, what is it? A bust, a bust of him that looks, and he is widely considered like a very, very, like basically like a GQ model. Like, like he is widely considered a very beautiful human. And this bust looks so fucking bad and it is all over the internet. And like, you can just, you can just Google it and just, just look at him and then look at this and imagine him receiving this thing in, in his name and just being like, what the fuck is this? Oh, I believe so, they made her melt it down and try thing. again. Oh, that's <laughs> the, that's that bust. <laughs> that is goofy. I mean, or it's like, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> like oh, yeah, that is, it's yeah. it's bad. See, like these aren't like, oh my god, that's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> like like someone tried. The old someone bus tried the new bus. Well, okay, so I was talking about people who are like, uh, you know, you sir have wronged me, and I shall, you know, write a satirical play, which you know, my my vengeance will last a thousand years, kind of thing. This appears to be Dante who, put so many people in hell in the inferno. People in real life, they <laughs> exactly. <hate him. laughs> like, and meanwhile, this, like this, and the, even like the monkey Jesus thing, uh, were people who <laughs> I believe were trying their hardest. Like, yes, yes, someone, that's someone different. tried. That's 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 sad. Um, it's like <laughs> that's I, I once talked about watching a movie that I felt was making all the wrong choices and was like almost embarrassing to watch. And I, I, I drew a parallel between like if you go to see your friend perform, you know, like the fiddle or something, and you can hear every note like sharp or flat, and you know they're fucking up, and you just have like a level of secondhand embarrassment. That's like <laughs> really touching and like moving in a terrible way. And that's how I feel when I look at some of these things. Oh, monkey Jesus lady. Like that just is like so heartbreaking to me. I just, I still don't even know what the fuck happened there. Like, so you know, crazy. it's the intention as you said, but I, I want to bring up Wolf of wall street again, because I think it's, it, I'm struck by the fact that you used that as an example, because that is the primary movie where I think people, have said this is glorifying a certain way of life. And, it's know, so stupid. It's so this stupid. Movie. And I think it's so stupid because, yeah, that, yeah. frankly, Those you watch this movie and you're like, sure. this is obviously critiquing its protagonist. I don't know like, how you watch him go from that that club, that country club, to his house and have to snort cocaine to save his friend from choking to death on ham <laughs> and think, God, that's the life. 
You know, yeah. that's like what this I guy is stories. living a nightmare. Like, when yeah, tell, Jesus. When I tell stories from me when I'm in college and people go, whoa, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, the only reason that we all get to say whoa now is because I lived, you know, like mm. <laughs> they go from being impressive to being very sad. You know, it's just it's uh, I'm not glorifying myself when I say these things. I'm kind of giving you an idea of why I am the way I am now. Um, we hear that question of glorifying things in in true crime all the time too, and not to bring up Ted Bundy yeah. again, but um, that, that one a couple a of years comparison. ago that uh, started Zac Efron. People were very oh, upset yeah. about what that. What was that like? Shockingly evil and weirdly wicked. Yeah, I, I <laughs> was hoping you weren't going to ask me for the exact name because I don't remember exactly how it went. But um, shockingly wicked and staggeringly evil. It was something vile. Like that. Vile was in there somewhere. Oh, but I, th- I thought that movie was brilliant. I thought extremely vile and incredibly close. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The way the fact that they cast, you know, a, a heartthrob as Bundy, I think, makes visible to us the ways that, he, in some circles, he kind of was a heartthrob during the whole media oh, frenzy I mean, of it even all. The judge was like, "Hey, Ted, I wish that you hadn't been right. a fucking murderer. You seem <laughs> exactly. like a real chill bro, dude." So I think they're and, and that that film was directed by um, Joe Berlinger, who does he did like the crime scene. Uh, he d- he's he's in charge of Netflix's uh, crime scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Um, he did Paradise Lost, the the trilogy of documentaries about the, oh, the kids yeah. who were arrested, the West Memphis Five. Brothers, um, so he knows. So he knows what he's doing. I, I think he's a very thoughtful filmmaker, and I think Kurzel is too. Here, um, I don't really like Snowtown. I thought that definitely tipped too far into trauma porn for me. Hmm. Um, Whereas this doesn't really, this has a much more of a, it's, it's so much more intimate than, than his first movie. And, I think. and, and it, it, I mean, I feel like if he tried to make it the opposite direction, people would be up in arms exactly. about, about so much of the, of like, oh, you didn't tell this character story in like this way. Oh like, my God. Like, they they like, would have, they would have yeah. like really like loved it if you had told it this way. And, and well, it would have just been so. Killed. And like yeah. 25 were injured, I think it said. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Yes. The numbers are staggering. I mean, but like, you know. Unless you're going to do a, a television series where everyone gets their own hour-long episode, you're going to have to, like, combine people, you know? And and then yep. you get – this is actually something I think about all the time, is that there is a guy in the movie Titanic who behaves incredibly cowardly. And the truth of the matter is that he was, like, a fucking hero and there is a statue to him in his <laughs> hometown. Because Wait, that's, who? I can't. Oh, now you're going to make me look it up. Is it Rose? No. Yeah, it's Rose. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my, my fucking door. Get your own, motherfucker. Um, I don't like right. Titanic because it glorifies the iceberg. There was room for both of them. Like, yes, there is. There yes, there, there is. There was not. <laughs> Apparently, wait a second. Is there a Titanic museum in Maryland? Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have a Titanic memorial in Washington, D.C. for some stupid reason. I will look it up, Robin, after I finish saying this. But like, so basically this guy's a hero. And for whatever reason, James Cameron was like, I'm going to change that guy's fucking life forever. And um, so like, you know, if you if I feel like no one's going to be like, oh, you weren't nice enough to knit room. You know, but if you had to come, like, no, but he, maybe they were too people, nice. Right. People but, think people are afraid that they were too nice. <laughs> I, I, if you show someone opening fire on helpless civilians, like 
you haven't been too nice to him. You know, this movie isn't like, oh, society, he was forced into it. It's like, sure, this guy had a shitty life. But you know who else had a shitty life? His mom and his dad and almost everyone else around him. And you know who didn't fucking murder a bunch of people? All of those other people. Like, it is totally possible to tell the facts of someone's life in a way that is empathetic, if not sympathetic. You know, that is is close to it, but that doesn't excuse them. And I think this movie pulls that off. I don't think there's an excuse in this. This is, in my letterbox review, I said, explanatory without being exculpatory. Nothing that we learn makes me think like, oh, well, of course he had to. Like, you know, he didn't. No. Yeah, There's no, never, no. and in fact, seeing his, like, level of self-awareness actually makes it worse. Because you constantly hear this thing of, like, these people are mentally unwell, blah, blah, blah. And it seems as though you're trying to, like, remove any agency from them. But, like, this never had to happen. <laughs> like, I, that's the best way yeah, I can think it's- to put it. It's it's the whole situation of, you know, sorry, Robin, but uh, I'm going to bring up the Joker. Um, it's the whole situation Why? where, Why like, apologizing to me because <laughs> I, I think you hate that film with all I the passion. I love that movie. Oh, OK. Never mind. Then. It was in my um, top 10 of 2020. <laughs> OK. Anyways, um, but like that film very much posits that like a lot of this stuff wouldn't have happened to this character as it's portrayed on screen if he didn't have his meds like taken away from him right and like struggling to get medications at certain points in his life and it's clear that like you know he's in a system where clearly he should be on a list of like hey emergency funding got pulled uh, but this guy still needs his fucking meds, you know, and I, I see that situation in this film where they talk, you know, to him and his mom. And at, at one point, the doctor asks, is it easier for him to be on meds for you mm-hmm. or for him? And I feel like that's and her answer is. I, I think. Well, yeah, I, I think. Her answer basically boils down to why not both? Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, huh, okay, there's something going on there where and and he perks up when when he asks, do you think you need to be on medication? And he's like, oh, you're actually talking to me like, okay, let's have this conversation. And and the mom around him. Yeah, and the mom kind of shuts it down and is like, "No, no, no, no. He he's he's <laughs> needs to be on medication. Like, don't talk to my son. Uh, talk to me. Like, yeah. I'm the purveyor here. Like, let let me handle this situation. You know. Um, so yeah, it does make parenting seem kind of like a nightmare. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh my god, you think that about every movie? <laughs> That's not true. Every okay. What would this, you do this, if you ended up with a nitrum? I was waiting for the moment that this would turn into Robin once again wrestles with her yes. ambigu- ambiguity. No. What's the word? I'm I knew for? I knew this was going to happen while watching this movie. Fuck I was like, Robin's going oh, oh, I'm, I'm right to have some questions. You. I'm right there with you, Robin. We'll have to address Robin's <laughs> anxiety and, uh, you know, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? What's the A word? Not tonight. Haven't made up. Uh, <laughs> no, we don't have to do it tonight. Ambivalence yeah. about having children. 
Yeah. No, um, it's just like, okay, you think you have like a normal fucking life. Like you live in the suburbs in this cute little house in this tropical area. And then you give birth to a kid who's like, you have no, I mean, this is kind of like the same issue as uh, we don't talk about. Uh, we need to talk Kevin. about Kevin. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. We need to talk about Kevin. Like <laughs> we don't talk. We about don't Bruno. talk about Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another okay. problem, child. Okay. <laughs> like, um, an un, un, underloved uh, family member. So, but seriously, like, what do you do if you end up with a kid that just does not jibe with like the rest of your? Sure. That that sequence, the sequence when he's uh, setting off firecrackers, then handing them out to school children, and then (laughs) the dad like rolls up and is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Sorry about my son. Sorry about my son." And the son just takes off, sits in the car, and just fucking sits on the horn Mm -hmm. for five minutes, Mm -hmm. and you're just like. What the fuck is wrong with you? You know, it's it's one of those things His where says that to him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you fundamentally cannot fathom how you could break someone in this way, like raising them and still end up with a kid like this, you know, where you're just like I don't fucking know what to because we are it is true that it seems like he's much more self-aware of his own situation than a lot of other films or a lot of other depictions of someone that's like clearly mentally ill usually is Mm -hmm. like he is, he is aware that he is mentally ill, that there is something wrong with him. And yet still while driving down the road, he will grab the steering wheel for no goddamn reason. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just like, what the fuck is going on with you? Like, and then, and then when he sees the consequences of what happens, He's fucking devastated. And you're like, yeah, that's like it it seems very clear that he understands there is a result of some of the things that he does, right? Like that if he shoots a gun at someone, they will die, right? There is there is no there's no ambiguity seen in his face or seen in his kind of emotions that like it doesn't click. No, it clicks. And yet still something inside of him is like, okay, but what about this time? There's an interesting parallel there. I think with the, the steering wheel thing. And then when he buys the gun and he's, he says, he's just fucking around, just pointing it at people. In exactly. The right. Like he, he, he realizes like, Oh yeah, this does put people on edge. Right. <laughs> and he, he enjoys getting a reaction out of people mm-hmm. just so because at least then they acknowledge that he's there. <laughs> what he acknowledges is his depression. Mm-hmm. I don't think he acknowledges maybe some of the other underlying issues that are there and we don't really know what's there either. I mean, there's some sort of hint that he might be intellectually disabled, but that's not just it. I mean, plenty of people with intellectual disabilities are, you know, functioning and not non-destructive and all of that. So there's gotta be something else that's, but is it antisocial disorder? I don't know because he's also trying so hard to reach out to other people. He's so desperate for human connection. Right. But he, I mean, like, it, this is encapsulated perfectly in the scene where he goes to his father's funeral and uh-huh. his mother fucking makes him leave Oof. because she thinks he's dressed like a clown and he does not understand. He is like, 
I am in a suit and tie. I have this fucking chill ass hat on. Like, I'm being a little <laughs> glib about it because I'm extremely tired. But like, he thinks he's doing right. Like he, even when he is attempting to do the right thing, he is doing the wrong thing. Like he just fundamentally is disassociated from what normal culture would be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say like his mom's like a crone who turns away her own son from his dad's funeral. But like by this point in life, she has zero patience for it. Like she tells that story about um, him being in the, uh, the 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 clothing shop or the fabric shop mm-hmm. and God, like how they used a... to do hide and seek Jesus. and she looked everywhere for him because she couldn't find him and then she gets in the car and he's laughing and she interprets that as he was laughing at my pain whereas you know I'm the, the, the father of a five year old probably laughing because he thought he was clever as fuck because yeah that would be literally the last place she'd look like I don't like it, and it's yeah, hard that's to, such yeah. an ambiguous scene, which I really appreciate well, whole, because I right. totally read it completely differently than she did. Right? And, like, and have you met a four-year-old? And everything is ambiguous because uh, you know it's a hack to say, but fucking life's ambiguous. Like, you know, uh, someone smiles sure. at you, and you, you're like, oh, they might like me, but really, like, they thought you were someone else. You know, and like, I was sitting at a my my daughter and I went to Blaze Pizza today, and we got our pizzas, and we were sitting there. And she was talking with this other family, uh, not this other family, this, this <laughs> little girl with the family at the table next to us. And, you know, they were like sitting close to each other and looking at their phones. And I kept having to say like, hey, you know, focus on your food, like come here and eat. And I was trying to just get her to eat her food because I it was late and it was bath night and I had to come here to this podcast. And so I really needed her to eat. And... <laughs> I kept thinking, like, does this family think that I'm, like, terrified of COVID, right? So I don't want my daughter near strangers. Or they were of a different race. Does this family think that I'm a racist who doesn't want my child speaking to their child? Hmm. And they probably couldn't give a shit because they were just enjoying their food. And they were also upset because their own daughter had suddenly refused to eat the pizza. And, like, so what what do they think that I'm thinking? Like, there's just a lot of that cross chatter in your head. And I'm just sitting there being like, I had a full day at the distillery. I'm very tired. I need to wash this child and get her (laughs) in bed so I could talk about a movie about a mass shooter. It's nothing to do with you guys. Uh, But she will talk with your daughter for the next three hours and not take a single bite of pizza. And then she will tell me that she is very hungry. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, things like that, Uh, you know, but it's, it's, um, it's such an interesting question in this movie i think judy davis does such a good job of just conveying that like soul wearying tiredness with it all yeah a bit where like he first leaves home and she says you know he'll be back nobody can live that with that boy but us like she's but, like, spiteful and she's like live with kind him. of like, excited to see him go in a way but also yeah she just knows the inevitability well, it's very much like it, he'll be back right <laughs> he'll always be back uh, I, I think I, I think one question that I have is lingering from this film, and it's an impossible question to, to answer, right? Um, you brought it to the but, right place, then. Yeah, <laughs> if his father hadn't killed himself, if if, if yeah. his father hadn't taken that nosedive that he did, right? And you know, Caleb Landry Jones' the portrayal in that sequence when he's just like beating on his father to like get up and like get his act together is so just 
wild, but I'm, I'm fascinated to think that his father really was his last tether. Um, because clearly his mom has like cut those, you know, strings and I feel like his father is the last tether. And when his father passes away also in the way that he does where he's just angry and just sad and like devastated that this thing that even, uh, Nitram didn't necessarily want to continue on, right? Like they had kind of like a a buddy-buddy agreement that, you know, Nitram was going to help. And then it was like, all right, fuck you. Found this lady. She's super chill. She buys me everything. I'm just going to hang out with her for the rest of my life. Do my little Grey Gardens thing. Yeah. And and the father's like, "Uh, what about our thing? And it's just like, nah, peace. I'm out of here. And you know, for that to unravel the way it does, I think is really, um, I, I think kind of breaks Nitrum. And I think that's, that's kind of what, you know, I don't want to say that's the thing that happened that he couldn't come back from, but it seems very much like that's kind of, uh, what this film is portraying well, there's a in lot that of way. It. I mean, like, you know, yeah. his, his, whole, his whole fucking life, like, you know, that's why I keep, I kept saying earlier on, like, there's this kind of like sense of cosmic destiny. Sure. That just keeps building throughout the whole thing. I mean, like, you know, they have, I'm right. Like that they, that he first meets, he first has Helen meet his family at the place that he's eventually going to shoot up. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. there's so much of that stuff. By the way, I found the guy from the Titanic. <laughs> um, for anyone who is still confused and uh, curious about that, his name was William Murdoch and he was, I believe uh first officer. And in the movie, he accepts a bribe from Billy Zane, shoots two people and then himself, and in real life, there is absolutely nothing to suggest that any of that happened. Um, and he did allow men onto lifeboats that were supposed to be just for women and children only. But that was because they were sending out lifeboats half filled. And he realized that the ship was going down faster than anyone thought. And they were not going to be able to save it. And he felt like it was important to save as many people as possible. And his hometown in Scotland has a plaque to him. And he is thought as a hero. And uh, the producer Did they the movie, name him? Act. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the movie, they're like, what's up, William Murdoch of Scotland? Oh, fuck. That's <laughs> um, unnecessary. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So there, like I said, there's nothing, you know, to, to suggest that any of that happened. And according to uh, this article I'm reading, uh, after this, the, the movie's depiction of Murdoch caused an outrage in his hometown, Titanic producers apologized by donating $8,000 to the Murdoch Memorial Fund. Um, and the vice president of 20th Century Fox visited Scotland to apologize to the family personally. $8,000. Didn't that movie make like more than a billion? Like, yeah, the movie made yeah. $2.1 billion worldwide. So like, well, I, 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 guess I think, I think what's funny. In 1998. <laughs> what's funny about that though is also this movie is famously like what, three and a half hours or something like that, right? Um, I, I've seen it, but I can't, I can't fucking remember. Um, but two VHS uh, it, Yeah, it. <laughs> It also is like, okay, unless he is a main character, I'm sorry, I'm not remembering that fucking name. So if I see somebody like in the street that has that name, like you just said that name, I, I literally cannot repeat what his name is right now. But but also, I'm Bill. So that, you know, goldfish brain is, is, is a thing. But like... 
I don't understand. It's a three and a half hour movie. He's one character that maybe gets name dropped once. Like, who the fuck cares? Also, like, well, like I, I get that. Thing, like, like if maybe don't a... do that. But like, it's like it's it could have been a fucking name that they just pulled out of a hat right. that happened that to be a real like, person. If you need to have, if you need to talk about the chaos and the horror of that situation, you could have a non-speaking character, nameless. Just do that and not indict a real life living human being who for sure. 70 years was thought of as a hero amongst his people. Oh, man. Anyway, I don't even remember why that had gotten brought up initially. But uh, here we are. I felt like I needed to to actually, you know, be proven right. Uh, it's, it, it was slanderous, you know, speech about yeah, Queen we Anne and about stuff like real that. People and, and things like that. Yeah. Also, the oh. full title of the Ted Bundy thing was Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> You're quite welcome. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to wrap up soon, but I do want to talk about something we haven't really dived into too deeply, which is Gilbert and the whole Sullivan. SC, well, that was just going to say the S.E. Davis character, who mm-hmm. to me is one of the more, is probably the most fascinating aspect of, of this character's life. Um, also, I will say like the character who was um, had the greatest potential to turn this movie into a disaster and who mm-hmm. actually made it as good as it is. You mean like he could have murdered her? Or no, I'm, I was thinking like when she first appears and like, you know, smilingly puts up with his bullshit. I was like, Oh no. Like, this could have been very some, cartoonish. Right. Yeah. Are we going to get some like old ass Mary Poppinsy kind of like, magical elder woman kind of thing. Like what the fuck is this? But like her being a real person, first of all, but also S.E. Davis playing her in the way she did and making her a real character. Who's not who, who acts with a level of forbearance and understanding, but also like control and just mm-hmm. like the right amount of, of leeway to like uh actual rigid, rigidity like it she's just mm-hmm. like the performance is marvelous it, it the yeah. character is miraculous that it works as well as it does and it 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 succeeds in humanizing him to a point that this movie doesn't become a god-awful slog through a bunch of miserable people waiting for one of them to murder a bunch of people yeah. i keep thinking about her delivery of of um when she they're playing piano and she says you look like a movie star yeah there's, there's just like a child like awe there that i yeah. thought was fantastic and it is really interesting. And the mom uh, or Judy Davis character brings this up, which is like, you don't really know what the nature of their friendship is. Like, yeah. is it a mentorship thing? Could it have developed into a romance? Was it a mother son surrogacy? You know, there's it, it's unclear. And, and there's no sexual vibes. There's no romantic vibes between them. And yet you have to wonder like what the connection was and why couldn't that have eventually turned into a romance had she lived? I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's what she needed. I don't know if that's what he needed. Like, I feel like, I feel like that's another good, another, another, I was going to say good thing about this movie, but like another Laurel, I don't know for this movie is, is that it, it very convincingly builds this very affectionate, but seemingly platonic relationship where you can tell what they each get out of one another. Like, I think, uh, Eric, what you had said about him not understanding value 
actually mm-hmm. plays in his favor because like she's probably like oh like a bunch of people are going to come and try to take my money and while he benefits from her fortune he doesn't seem to understand it at all and that level of remove from like being covetous of her money helps him to integrate with her like very right well, like, i think he's not I, there I, just I, to leech off like he thinks she buys him things as a kindness yeah Mm-hmm. which he takes advantage of rather than taking advantage of the money itself, which is yeah. like a little distinction, but, <laughs> but it's, to, to well, it's I, an important one. Right. Exactly. I, I think, I think it says it all when she dies on like it, it, again, I, I, I keep phrasing it in this way, but I, I don't know enough of the facts of, of what actually happened. So that's this is all I'm going off of. But in this film, it is depicted that like she dies suddenly, right? Like that was like you're, mm-hmm. you're not expecting that. And so the fact that she had him in his will receive all of her money and all of her like her state and all of that says so much about their relationship right that she never saw that as him taking advantage of her right yeah. it was it was all it was always just like there is this mutually beneficial thing going on here and it doesn't have to be sexual it can just be two very very fucking lonely people that are a little bit of outcasts that want to just kind of go their own way and she allows him to go her own way or go his own way right and that's i think that's what kind of is his thing is he wants to do all these things he wants to get into scuba diving he wants to get into surfing he wants to get into all of these other things right yeah he wants to travel and it's like I, I was so blown away when she kind of rebuffs him about the gun. And then I thought when he brought up the the trip to L.A. to Hollywood, that that was a scheme or a plot to basically like turn those plane tickets or something like that into money. Right. That he was going to he was going to use that as a way to scam her out of some money so he could go buy the guns and it just turns but, out no, yeah, he no, just really wants to, to fucking go. Genuine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, oh shit, this is this movie's not going the way that I thought it was going. You turned and too yeah. cynical. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, well, I mean, you know, so many other films would have done that yeah, for sure. They, yeah. they would have altered the story to make him more villainous, and I think that that's another another feather in this movie's cap is that he doesn't <laughs> come off as like villainous or like arch evil. He comes off as I don't know, broken, fucked up and like stumbling into things like in it that that is at once tragic and also almost more harrowing to observe because you like. Exactly. You can't see that coming until it's too late. Right. You you lose the mystique of like the dark, twisted soul of like from, yep. from birth. He was destined to. And it's like, no, like, again, he could have done a billion other things. But like, you know, it's just these couple of things like it's the losing of Helen, the gaining of all this fucking money. The, the inability of his dad to, you know, get this this uh, bed and breakfast that he wants to do. The, like, complete and utter lack of compassion from his mother, which is, like, understandable given her weariness at having to deal with this all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, like, leading up to, like, you know, he he had other options. But one by one, they got whittled down until finally, like, this is what he landed on. And it's... um. 
it's awful. But it also means that like he wasn't born of the devil. Like, you know, he wasn't, you know, always going to do something like this. He's not an evil. Yeah, it's not preordained. He's just a fucking dude who like made this choice. And, uh, you know, that's not that's like at once more existentially terrifying, but it's less personally terrifying because it makes him seem less extraordinary. Which at the end of the well, day yeah, is like I, the best thing you can do to someone who wants to be famous for something like exactly. this is to make them not seem extraordinary. That's one of the reasons I like last podcast on the left, plug for another podcast that doesn't need it, um, is that they talk about true crime things like this and they almost always take the piss out of the the perpetrators. Like they really dig into them as people who often are very pathetic shitty like lonely people there's only been a couple times where they've been like this guy was like a high caliber monster and it's very difficult to make fun of him because he was just a predator most times they're like this is a fuck up who couldn't actually score any wins in the real world so he decided to take the easy route which is you know to murder people who are weaker than them yeah i think this uh, this conversation goes back to any time and I'm going to say the H word, uh, sorry, but anytime people talk about Hitler and talk about how like well-spoken he was and how good he was at rallying people behind like his cause and winning him, winning them over to his cause and people... I, I just know there's probably going to be someone that's going to email in and go, what the fuck? And it's just like, I'm sorry, but this is an actual human being that, yes, did atrocious things, but there is a reason why like they were able to get other people to do those atrocious things too. And it's not because he was just a psychopath. No, he was really good at like what he was doing and i think that's kind of the issue with nitrum in this way where you know the people of tasmania god bless them but it's like yeah you're humanizing our demon and it's like uh, okay but wouldn't you rather wrestle with a man than a demon human yeah yeah (laughs) that's the whole thing i mean isn't that the whole um argument or thesis behind like lord of the flies is that there's that everyone wants to paint a f- picture of the devil here when it's just the dark heart of man. That's yeah. always mm-hmm. the tr- like reason why these tragedies occur. I mean, pretty much. I mean, that's why like, you know, I, and you know, luckily it's never been an issue, but like every time someone jumps up and says like, you know, these people were killed by Satanists, the devil is at work here. It's always like, Oh my God, no, that's not how this works. Like that's, I don't yep. like it's not I don't I don't reality is more boring and therefore scarier in a way. Yeah, I mean like <laughs> I read a I read a book that was like a scholarly examination of the satanic panic of the 80s and the McMartin preschool and all oh, yeah. stuff, the Kern County panics and everything and like it's just insanity. <laughs> it's just yeah. and it's it, it it truly is people who cannot understand the 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 banal human heart of evil and so like Mm -hmm. you know they take this idea of like predators sexual predators who prey on children and the only way to wrap their head around it right is to is to turn them into satanic priests and priestesses and then to give them even more evil shit to do like it's just but you don't need to do that like you don't like you can look at these people and just see like the 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 
blistering vacancy in the, in the core of their humanity. And that doesn't make them evil. It doesn't make them extremely wicked and evil and shocking or whatever the fuck that title was. It just <laughs> makes them lesser. And I think that like, if I had to come up with a reason why Kurtzel wanted to make this movie or a reason why I found this movie to be so impactful is that I like, I like to puncture the myths that make up our monsters and to see them turned into people. And I, I find that to be very useful, especially as we live in a world that seems like it's turning itself inside out with new ways to destroy itself is to just, because if you realize that it's a human problem, then a human solution can do it and it becomes more manageable. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you think it's a, if it's a religious or a cosmic problem, it's uh, it's more difficult to handle. It lets us wash our hands of it in a way. Yeah, yeah. But, Suddenly yeah. you're like, well, I didn't have to worry about that. But like, you know, I don't know. I think that like the best thing about this movie is that you you can look at it and see the ways in which things could have gone differently, but it doesn't point at a single person. Like I was concerned yeah. when I when he was like talking to that girl and then she goes and like kisses a surfer. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, are they going to say he was like an incel? And like, you know, maybe at its most liver- literal level, like probably like, you know, I'm assuming he was a virgin when he did all this, but I don't think that's the reason he did it. Like also like, you know, getting abused by a car dealership guy probably didn't help, but it wasn't the one reason like, you know, right. and it, 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 again, removing that linchpin of like, oh, is the thing that made him snap. It's like, you know. That's not true. Like we talk about a straw that breaks the camel's back, but like if there's a million other fucking straws on there, why is it the last one? The one that we give a shit about? Like it's a good question. I think going back to parental accountability with the concept of not pointing fingers, um, as opposed to something like we need to talk about Kevin or even mass. Um, I thought this especially brought it home in the, the very final shot of the film. Oh, man. Um, there's been so much about reflection and seeing himself in the mirror and he like stares at himself when he gets doors slammed in his face and whatever. In the very last shot of this, of this movie, we have split down the middle of the frame is Judy Davis on the right. And then her reflection on the left, but in her reflection, we get, we can see the TV of the news coverage of the massacre. So even though she is her own person for whatever reason, she isn't, she's now fractured and is defined by what he did even though, you know, it wasn't her fault that that is now for the rest of her life. She is his mother. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, you know, it's like that, that common refrain of like, well, I blame the parents. Right. You know, it's not that simple. Even in Aladdin, you know, they would have blamed parents, except he hasn't got them, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I blame them for being dead. Yeah. If his parents had, well, no, they're not dead. Cause we meet his dad later on. His dad is like, Oh, that's right. Yeah. The 40 thieves. Or whatever. And then oh, right. uh, apparently his mom was proud of her boy. Right. Isn't that the. I mean, do, remember, where, do I have to remember everything about Aladdin lore? Jesus. 100%. Well, the only reason I know about the proud of your boy thing is because it's a song that was cut from the movie that was supposed to be a flashback where his mother's singing about how proud she is of him. And that's where the proud boys, the, the, I'm just going to call oh, them no. right-wing no. neo-Nazi group. I fucking swear to God, I would Gross. not and could not make this up. <laughs> they got their name from I the knew Atlanta. that Walt Disney was a Nazi. I think <laughs> that was actually uh, apparently like just slander against him by a pro-union group. But also, like I feel like everyone back then was a Nazi. I feel like Ford was definitely a Nazi. Uh, Ford wasn't a Nazi. He inspired the Nazis. <laughs> They right, literally so, looked right. at Ford like, 
Wow, that guy fucks. He's the Ur Nazi. <laughs> yes. Oh boy. Um, I don't yeah. actually think Disney is a Nazi. I, I think he was. I do, time. however, think I mean... that his head is on ice somewhere. Oh, for sure. Okay, we gotta go. <laughs> Who else this do you is think lucky. is cryogenically frozen? Uh, I'll go back Cher to something Bill was talking Streisand. about. Adolf Hitler. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, we all know that Nazis have a base in Antarctica. Operation was on the moon. Look it up. No, they used the Antarctic base as a launching pad to get to the moon. Ah. I think <laughs> is how that goes. I can't even remember. Um, are there any... Fine. We have talked about so much, and another reason I I, I feel like I, if I could like this movie any more than I already did, I definitely do, because this has been a fantastic conversation. Is there anything else that we would like to talk about before we wrap up? No, I think we really went in so many different directions. Yeah. I, I, I was worried I was going to come on this podcast and have to defend liking the movie, but I'm so what? glad we were able to unpack it. Oh, gosh. I no, def- I mean, I, this is the rare episode where we all really liked it. I definitely, I could see how you would worry that because, like, I was jokingly saying to friends, like, oh, you know, it's been great hanging out with you, but now I got to go, like, watch this movie about a mass shooter. Ah, it's going to be great. And then, like, the next day, they're like, so how was that movie? I was like, it was fucking incredible. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. so good. I feel well, somebody vindicated. Actually, somebody made a, a short film of, of like two characters on their way to see this movie. Just sort of like oh. very, it's very, you know, it's not great, but it's very like sophomoric. Just both of them laying out the different points at the end. The, mm-hmm. the one character looks directly into the camera and is like, maybe I will make my own movie about how insensitive it is to make movies about mass shooters. It's uh, like, Come on. <laughs> and then they make a jerk off motion. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I will say uh, one thing we didn't talk about is that this movie won Best Actor at Cannes and also won like a bunch of Australian Academy Awards. So it's oh, not. Really? It's not, yeah, like eight out of 15 when or something, including like all the best. 2021. Yeah. So this, yeah. yeah, awards, 18 wins, 18 nominations. That is, yeah. it's it's won everything it's been put up for. So I'm kind of mad that it was, it was released now. I, I think it yeah. really could have been a player. I mean, it and maybe it still, still will be. be. It could still player. will be. Well, we'll just have to uh, keep beating the drum. I mean, yeah. uh, what is it? The the most famous example of this is um, the Heart Locker, right? Which I think premiered mm. in like February or something like that. Oh, it was something weird like that. Yeah. Really? Because I remember seeing it over the summer. I think, okay, well, you have to remember this was many, many years ago when things could still play for a while. True. Especially <laughs> like the Hurt Locker. I, I feel There's like. There's no way that movie came out in February and was still playing. And someone look it up. I will say that at the I Australian am. Academy of Cinema and Television Arts, the AACTA Awards, this movie won Best Film, Best Director in Film, Best Lead Actor, Best Lead Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Original Screenplay, and Best Original Editing. Or Best Editing, not Original Editing. Um, so yeah, I mean, what I kind of joked about it earlier saying like all of your top tier awards are locked up, but if you're in the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts, you were right. (laughs) It did not win best cinematography, best production design, best costume design, best original score, best sound in film, best hair and makeup and best casting, which is crazy. How do you win literally every acting award and not win best casting? Nikki Barrett, (laughs) Alison Telford and Kate Leonard must be Fucking 
furious right now. That's too funny. I'm sorry. Do you think these people just walked in off the street? And like, good Lord. That so is a- Hurt Locker. <laughs> yeah, it was June 26, 2009. But June it is still also- early for an Academy Award. June, June is still very early, yeah. I think Get Out yeah. was March. If we want to use that's that true. Yeah. That's um, true. But probably- Get Out was also bigger, like a bigger film than this. Like, what does. Well, the- for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. There's Black- so many reasons why that. When was sustained. Black Panther released? That I was, think that um, might have been February, right? Yeah. That um, was early. Um, I can't, oh, February. It was February 16th. Yeah. And that one got But again, a up. big, a big money. I maker. know when Deadpool 2 was released. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was February 14th. Was it was on released? Valentine's. That was in like August or something, wasn't it? Um, it was August 13th. I'm not even sure. Yeah. Which okay. is still, again, I feel like anything released before September that ends up winning an Academy Award is like kind of miraculous. Yep. Especially if it's on a streaming service where people like, there's no box office buzz. Yeah. Well, yeah. I am mad about it. I liked Coda a lot. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And uh, well, I will. Out, I will yeah. be. I was about to say I'll be beating the drum similarly for this movie. Um, I feel like it's going to be more difficult to talk people like you know when I was talking about Coda, I'm like, oh, it's this really great movie about this girl. She wants to be a singer. She's from a deaf family, and it's like laughter and tears and it's so funny and really sweet and heart lifting and i think you'll like it and now i'm gonna have to be like hear me out <laughs> it's two hours alone with a guy who's gonna be a mass shooter don't tell them that just say it's about a loner who it's has some crazy study. events happen in his life okay you could pitch i I'll, I'll pitch this in a way that i think i could trick people into seeing it it's about this guy, right? He lives with his mom and dad still, even though he's in his 20s. No one really understands him. And one day he decides he's going to start a lawnmower business so he can get a surfboard. And he ends up crossing paths with an eccentric millionaire. And it's all about the crazy adventures that they start to have and the way that they change each other's <laughs> lives. I love it. Yeah. It's like Grey Gardens meets Henry and June. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. Anyway, anyway, it's been really fun talking about this. Uh, you wouldn't think so again, since this is a movie about a mass shooter. But I'm super glad we were able to talk about it. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us to do this. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Absolutely. Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? Oh my gosh. Ambulance. Jesus Ambulance! <laughs> yeah. The movie Ooh, I, I, have, I am not like able to see because they put the screening in this place that is just like 40 minutes away from where I live. You know what would be an easy yeah. and fast way to get there? What? Steal an ambulance. Hey. Get out. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I don't know what this movie's about. I can't tell you the last Michael Bay movie I've ever seen. I will, I don't know I, I will give you the, the IMDb description. Two robbers steal an ambulance after their heist goes awry. Cool, cool, cool. Right. It's gonna be the fucking best. I mean, we we just spent a lot of time talking about a very highbrow film that's like a social realist, like thriller commentary on blah blah blah. Whatever. Let's talk about some fucking bank heisters who steal an ambulance after a heist goes awry. Can't wait. Um, this is the kind of uh, crazy split you can only get here at the Film Stage Show. All right. What else? Uh, we are brought to you by Mubi, MUBI.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. And uh, don't forget that there's some awesome <coughs> shit on there right now, including Battle Royale. 
check it out um and uh don't forget to go to patreon.com slash film state show to give us your money so let's tell the fine people at home where it can be found between now and the next time that we're in their ears eric would you like to tell people where they can find your work and find you online if they'd like to follow you Sure. Um, my site is everythingsinteresting.press, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. E. Anders, M-R-E-A-N-D-E-R-S. Excellent. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and you can also find me looking forward to Catherine Bigelow's new film, uh, potentially, uh, called Aurora, which has nothing to do with the Aurora shooting. I literally, when um, I heard that, I was like, oh, Christ. It's either going to be a weird, like, Disney finally got her, and it's going to be a great reboot <laughs> yes, of the Sleeping yes. or it's going to be about the Aurora shooting. Like that movie, we did. This is a movie we didn't talk about at all, which I think says something. The movie Dark Knight, mm-hmm. which was about <laughs> the the shooting at the dark the Dark Knight Rises right premiere. Um, they made a movie. Yes. they did, and no one liked it, and no one saw it. Hmm. <laughs> it was. I think it, it's one of those ones where people are immediately like, "This is in poor taste." Like I wow. think they did yeah. it wrong. Um, hmm. I don't know if anyone's no, seen that. This- reach out and let us know. This should be good because it's also uh, written by David Cope, uh, who famously like is the screenwriter behind Park. a lot of yeah Jurassic Park among them. But yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, so actually, it's based I'm on sorry. his book. I should have started with his best movie, Premium Rush. Oh Ooh. fuck yeah, that movie fucking Love rocks. That's I, have, so I love the fact I need to go I just fucking up buy that. Rush and two people on this podcast, we were like, "I love that movie." Yeah, I also yeah. love that movie. I saw that at a at a uh, festival, and I was like, "Why the fuck aren't more people talking about <laughs> right. this?" Right? Why thing? is Premier Rush not getting talk? Why is this not getting Oscar buzz? Yeah. <laughs> I was best like, oh, wow. Best actor. Best editing. Uh, let's see if Premium Rush. Can we watch Premium Rush right now? I want to oh yeah, it's on, it's on Hulu, Hulu right fucking now, and we can rent it on up. Apple TV for three ninety nine in uh, 4K. This oh. thing's been remastered in 4K. What the fuck? <laughs> wow, it's All got right. a it's got a commentary track by Jean Luc Godard. <laughs> uh, but anyways, that's uh, that's my plug for uh, David uh, Cope. All things uh, David Cope. And a movie get that after will come it. out in I don't know two years if it gets made. Yeah, well, Netflix got money, so Catherine, yeah, you know, but Catherine Bigelow has, was supposed to make a Netflix movie before, right? She was supposed to make Triple Frontier, and then it went oh, to, wish oh. right, right. I, I, I swear, I'm not making this up. I cannot, I cannot look up another thing that I've said. We have to get out of here. I'm so okay. tired. Um, <laughs> so someone fact check me on that, uh, Jordan. You're listening to this. If if I'm wrong, <laughs> if I'm wrong, tell me to cut this out of the episode. Um, so if you are listening to this and it's still in the episode, it means fast forward. Right. Yep, fast um, forward five seconds. Cool. Anyway, uh, Robin Barr, what about your own damn self? My own damn self can be found on Twitter at r o b y n b a h r. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd with that same username, and uh, sometimes my writing is at the Hollywood Reporter. Oh, including my uh, review of the Chris Rock show at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, where he does not say very much about the slap. But what he does say is very interesting. Excellent. Yes. Uh, Again, I think congratulations for being the top story twice in a single day. Thanks, girl. 
you're, you're welcome, bro. Um, as for myself, uh, Brian J. Rowan on all the social meds, and uh, that's B R I N J R O A N. What are you laughing at? The social meds. The social meds. I'm like back in 2005 right now, just with my breeze. <laughs> Jesus. There's something very the outsiders, like the socias. Yes. Oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> Stay golden, pony boy. Oh my god. Um, anyway, <laughs> BrianJerome.com is also a place you can go to find stuff. Uh, Greg the egg. Greg the egg. Sorry. If you're, if you're interested in uh, the whiskey I'm making, go to inkwellwhiskey.com or follow inkwell.whiskey on Instagram. And uh, what? What? Else? I think that's it. Uh, go to thefilmstage.com for all of my writing and stuff and to find every episode of this here podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And tune in next week. And he sobbed and he sighed and a gurgle he gave. Then he plunged himself into the billowy wave. And an echo arose from the sea. I, I do not understand the attraction of Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, my husband loves Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, is your husband Aaron Sorkin? No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>